Welcome to The Furrowed Brow, a podcast about thinking. I'm your host, Jerry Wheeler, and we've been talking about some different heart guards, and we talked about humility, and we talked about patience, and we talked about courage, and today we're going to talk about something, I don't know if I would call it a heart guard, but it's definitely a piece of the puzzle when we get into these types of things. Uh, whenever I was talking about courage, what I talked about was um, th- these two pillars of courage that are love and trust. And then in the word of trust, you could say faith or you could say belief. But whatever we love is what we'll move toward. I think we also have to cover the other side of that and talk about hate. Hate isn't talked about very much in our culture. And it's almost kind of, it, to me, it always comes across as something someone doesn't want to talk about. Um, and or because you hear words like tolerance or you hear words like inclusion, which do have a certain amount of um, place in our society. But then that kind of gets into the thing we talked about on the last one of are we loving the right things? Are we hating the right things? Are we trusting the right things? Are we not trusting the right things? And, um, and when it comes to inclusion, are we including the right things? When it comes to tolerance, are we tolerating the right things? You know, uh, if that where I'm from. If that ruffles your feathers, um, then we have to, like, just use an example. Is rape ever acceptable? No, never. There's never a good place for that. So there are certain things that, that have to be hated, period. So I think it's, it's important to know, especially if we're going to start talking about, um, as much as I've talked about love, to not talk about hate would be negligent. Love is a motivator. So to say, I love freedom then I'm going to do things that uh, promote freedom. But then what's the opposite of that? If I hate something that wants to try to take away freedom, then there becomes a response then. The love response to freedom has to do with protecting it and promoting it. And then it becomes the opposite then, you know, whenever you deal with the hatred side of it. you know, a, a far lesser example of something, you know, from a, go- a big example to a small example, whenever I mow the yard, just cut the grass outside, it's not because I'd love cutting grass. Woo, I get to, I get to cut the grass. That's not where I'm at. I just, I hate tall grass. I also don't like pests. So it, it, cutting your grass keeps bugs and snakes and everything else out of your yard. Tall grass promotes bugs. I don't want to promote bugs and snakes in my yard so I keep the grass cut. So love love has this way of making us move towards something and hate has this way of moving away from something. Uh, I had a question uh, from a friend one time. He said, what do you hate? We were talking about some life goals and some different things. And he said, what do you hate? Sometimes your hate points you in the direction of something you need to work on. And what I told him is I hate stagnation. Stagnation where something's not going to move. Uh, I just can't stand it. But in explaining that, um, so whenever you say, I can't stand things being stagnant, they say, well, you're, you're obsessed with new. I'm not obsessed with new. I just don't want things to stay still. The reason, you know, if something's set correctly, then it's set and you don't have to reset it. I want to set this and then go on to the next thing and set it and then go on to the next thing and set it. And then so this other thing can stay put. Now, the problem with that is those other things, they old things, they have to be maintained. So then occasionally you got to go back to the first thing you set and re- reset it because it gets wobbly and it has to be put back. Okay, so we go and we put that one back and then, you know, the f- second thing we set a little while later is going to have to be reset. But then at the same time, these things further down, we're on now step five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. 
I want to see those steps, but I want the old things to stay put. I want, okay, you, you're fixed. You're good, right? Okay, now I'm going to go into this thing. All right, I'm going to fix this. Then I'm going to go on to the next thing. I'm going to fix or help, build, whatever, and go on to the next thing. But then I have to keep an eye on two things. One, where I came from, because that thing that I originally set needs to stay put so that it, because it's probably holding step two, and step two is probably holding step three. Step three is probably holding step four. So in my hatred of stagnation, um, and the other thing is uh, I, I have to go on to the next step. I don't, I've kind of stuttered there. I apologize. But anyway, to go on from this step to this step to this step, I can't stand stagnation. But I don't want to lose the where I came from. Now, that explain, if you're looking at a map to say I want to do away with the old every time I get new, that doesn't make sense to me. The old doesn't go away because you have new. If I take a step from here to there, I need to know where I came from on purpose because it sets an orientation. If I go from Dallas to New York, well, when I get to New York, it, it, I, I suppose, you know, you're like, well, I'm in New York. It doesn't matter that Dallas is back there. But how do you know to get to New York if Dallas doesn't stay put? Like, imagine this. You leave Dallas, and now as you've left Dallas, Dallas no longer exists. Well, how do you know what the next step is towards New York? You don't have a reference point anymore. You don't know where north, south, east, and west is anymore in this example. So you need the old things to stay put to orient you for your next step. Those need protected, and they need maintained, but then the next thing needs to happen. The next step of this podcast is to talk about hate, but it didn't make any sense to talk about hate before you talked about love. And then the, the two work together. It, what, it Almost always, what you love, the opposite you hate. And so knowing both is important to, um, again, to work on goals, deal with a trial, or a storm. I'm trying to reach this goal. What do you hate is important. I'm trying to not break under the pressure of a trial. What do you hate is going to be important. I'm, I'm in a storm. What do you hate is going to be important. Now, you, it's important to know what hating is. So I want to come at it from this angle. I want to come at it from the angle of moving towards something, moving away from something, and staying put. Those three um, positions or postures uh, when it comes to love and hate. So let's look at those real fast. If let's, let's start with, let's move towards something. If I love something, I am moving toward it to help it, to benefit it, or to embrace it. If I hate something, if I'm moving toward it, it's to harm it. If you move toward, let's get back to the garden idea. If you move toward a weed, it's to uproot it. If you're moving toward a branch of thought that is fruitless, not bearing fruit, if you're moving toward that thought, of this fruitless thought, it's to prune it. It's to cut it off. And a, a side note to that is, um, let me deal with this real fast. Sometimes we have thoughts or we have, the Bible talks about a root of bitterness. Sometimes there's weeds in our garden from different things. Sometimes there's branches of thought 
that are very real. Now, here's the thing about a weed and a branch you need to know. Weeds are real. Branches are real. Number two, weeds are alive and branches are alive. But you need to look into, is a weed, is this a weed that steals from the nutrients of what I'm, what I'm doing? Or is this a branch that's, that's taking life away from the tree? So you have these trees of thought. Uh, Caroline Leaf does an amazing study on, on branches of thought and how the things in the brain look like trees and things. But in the, do you have a branch of thought that is fruitless? Like, on, I think this frequently. But is it bearing fruit? That needs to be cut off. But it's real. I know. But it's alive. I know. It's got to go because it's not helping you. And that, that's a form of hate. I'm going to move toward this, and I'm going to cut that out. That's got to go. Now, moving away from something. So if you're moving away from something in love, I think that if you're moving away from something, it's a little bit of like the idea of uh, playing hard to get. You're moving away from something, but it's kind of in an effort to be chased. Um, I had a, uh, a dog whenever I was a kid, and the dog liked to run away. Now, if I went after the dog and I chased it down the street, he was wanting to be chased. That, that dog, and he would run you for blocks if you let him. It was a little uh, half chihuahua thing. I don't, I don't know, chihuahua rat terrier mix, some kind. Anyway, if, if he ever got loose, oh my goodness, you were going on a marathon if, he let you, if you let yourself. So I chased this dog for several blocks when I was a teenager one time. And you know what? I just got, okay, you know what? I'm done. I'm not chasing you anymore. And uh, fine. It, you know, you don't want to be caught. Have fun with it. So <laughs> I just sat down on the curb. I'm like, okay. I, the dog doesn't want to be caught. You know what? If you don't want to live here, I, I, I'm okay with it at this point. And so the dog stopped, turned around, looked at me. And I was like, okay, like, are you done? And then he ran over to me. I picked him up. We went back home. And so he wanted to be caught. But if you hate something, that's not the case. If you hate something and you're moving away from it, it's to retreat from something that you think is moving towards you for harm. And I'm getting ahead of myself here, but getting into confusion of mixing love and hate is one of the worst things that we've all done at different times. And then the last of those is standing still. If something is standing still, it is, again, to be catchable. It's to be, um, I, I, I'm not moving so you can find me. Then the opposite is true if you're talking about hate. I'm not moving because you're not pushing me back any further. This is as far as I'm going to go. Um, a, a great example of that is a wall. Uh, well, a wall is just going to stand there. And, it's, and it's, it's actually got a love and hate thing. It's got a, a wall is just standing there, and there's a resistance to what's outside and an acceptance of what's inside. Walls are important. Walls in the wrong place create problems for us. But something that just stands still and says, no, just as far as this goes. Or if you reach a place of growth uh, in your inside man, think of your, your inside man expanding and the walls moving out and you becoming and having more room inside you, um, more love inside you, more wisdom inside you. And, the, and allowing more of uh, more life inside and keeping, which would also by, 
by by proxy, sure, by proxy, uh, keep more death out, keep more foolishness out, keep more hatred of the wrong things. The, uh, hatred of the wrong things is real because the Bible says the person that hates wisdom loves death. So hating the right things and loving the wrong things again is coming up in this. Uh, my brain just kept going to like seeing this city. The Bible talks about uh, our inner man is like a city. So to see the city wall growing, that's, that's a really, uh, I'm enjoying uh, thinking that for you guys. I'm like, I, I see that as you guys are, are going to start to understand walls that keep out what it's supposed to keep out. And then what happens is in the old days, back in the Bible times, it would talk about the gate. The gate was what was allowing things in and things out. This place of acceptance and rejection happened at the city gate. The city was guarded by walls. And at the city, at the main gate, it was a place of business, a place of uh, commerce, a place that was guarded on what was allowed in and what was allowed out. And there was this constant place of rejection and acceptance. If something has... Uh, sometimes we have to arrest our thoughts. In the New Testament, it says we have to bring every thought captive. Sometimes something has gotten into the city that doesn't belong in there. That's why we have police officers, thank God. But we have to have police guards inside our, our, our hearts. And so this city that is our inner man, it, it, you got to have a police force in there. And it's got to reject things that have gotten in that don't belong in there. And to arrest them and stop them from being active. So I'm looking at it from this, uh, going, saying in this vein of love and hate, love is an active acceptance. I accept you. I'm going to move towards you for your good. If you see me move away, it's not for your harm. I'm either going to get something to bring to you, or someone may just want to be chased. But when Jesus went away and he went back to heaven, He's doing it for our good. He's going to prepare a place for the church. So the going away is a love action. The moving toward is a love action. And the staying put is to protect, to guard, and to help. Then hatred is then an active rejection, moving toward something to take it away. Again, staying with the idea of thought, to take away a root of bitterness, to cut away a thought prune a thought that is fruitless. Well, I think this all the time. And it, this thought keeps coming back. Is that thought helping you? I know it's real. I know it's alive, but it has to be cut. So that the other thoughts that you have can then become hardier and even more fruitful. So that these roots of bitterness that are even, according to Caroline Leaf, these things are even stealing blood flow away from appropriate thoughts. So we stop thinking those things actively. I'm trying to think of the word right now. There's a thing about your brain. It's called elasticity. There's an elasticity of our brain, which means its ability to change. If you've ever listened to Dave Ramsey, one of my favorite things is for him, he does this clapping, and he said, well, the, this person said, uh, well, I've always done it this way, and he goes, change. Just change. And I think we have to do that sometimes. We just have to... Okay, life's turning a corner, changes now. So that kind of gets into the question then of, if I'm going to hate something, what am I supposed to hate? The Bible tells us that the fear of the Lord is to hate 
evil? Well, next question, what is evil? One of the places I went to this a bunch for my personal, just trying to get some understanding, again, it sticks with the garden idea, is Jeremiah chapter 24. Um, In this, it explains what evil is and what good is. And I hope you'll permit me to read it. It's a whole 10 verses. If you'll just let me read it to you real quick. And I'll, I, it, what I'm reading out of is a, a King James Version Bible. But it, typically I kind of um, take out some of the these and thous whenever I read. So if you'll let me get through this real quick. Um, in, this, in the backstory of this, uh, the people did it wrong. God's going to send them into a place of correction so they can sort of rethink how they're doing things. And then he's going to bring them back later. But right now they're heading towards it. They haven't been into um, uh, where Israel got into trouble and God moved the whole country into Babylon, except for a small portion that he left behind. So let me just but it explains good and evil in a really strong way. And I love its explanation. So if you'll permit me real quick, Jeremiah 24. This is, so Jeremiah is a prophet and he's getting a prophecy from God. And he says, the Lord showed me. And behold, there was two baskets of figs that were set in before the temple of the Lord. After Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away captive Jeconiah and Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and the princes of Judah with the carpenters and smiths from Jerusalem and had brought them to Babylon. So I think I said this is before. This is actually, you know, verse one. Clearly, I got that wrong. I'm not perfect. But going ahead, one basket had good figs, even like the figs of the, that are first ripe. And the other basket had very naughty figs. We start getting into these ideas of good and evil and naughty. And, and I, I get naughty kind of a, like a, a funny term that we would not use much today. But just to stay, stay with me for just a second. Which could not be eaten. They were so bad. So bad and naughty and evil are, are, are these overlaps of unedible figs in this story. Then the Lord said to me, what do you see, Jeremiah? And I said, figs. The good figs, very good. And the evil very evil that cannot be eaten. They're so evil. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, so he's got another, this happens again. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, like these good figs, so will I acknowledge them that are carried away captive of Judah, whom I have sent out of this place into the land of the Chaldeans for their good. For I will set my eyes upon them for good. And I will bring them again to this land and I will build them and not pull them down and I will plant them and not pluck them up. Again, if we're moving toward something to help it as opposed to harm it, and God has moved toward Israel here to help them. He's not moving towards them to pluck them up. He's moving towards them to plant them. And I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. And as the evil figs, which can't be eaten, they are so evil. Surely, thus says the Lord, so will I give Zedekiah, the king of Judah, and his princes, and the residue of Jerusalem that remain in this land, and them that dwell in the land of Egypt. And I will deliver them to be removed into the kingdoms of the earth for their hurt. To be a reproach and a proverb, a taunt and a curse in all places, whither I shall drive them. So these are the people that are just like, God, I'm not on your side, period. So um, God's like, well... Okay, then I'm, I can't help you. And he says, I will send the sword and famine and pestilence among them till they be consumed from off the land that I gave them and to their fathers. I'm kind of talking about um, our personal actions and thoughts and patterns, uh, attitudes, and 
fears are these things helping us or harming us? It says the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. That's a fear that helps. But what about a fear that harms? Because we don't take a chance. We don't risk. We, you know, um, we need our heart to have more love so that we can cast out more fear and, and be more successful. Again, if we're sticking with the idea of Christianity, um, that heart change of hating the right things and loving the right things that, that heart change comes from salvation. We get a heart change whenever we're saved. That isn't to say that some of these concepts can't help someone who isn't saved, and I hope that they do help. But the problem is, if you're trying to do this without salvation, here's, here's, a something, here's something we're thinking of. We're talking about good and evil. Can a person be good without God? Well, let me read you this real quick, and then I'll, uh, I, I think this will answer the question. So in Matthew 22... There are some, um, some teachers of the law, some Jews, some educated people that are asking Jesus some tough questions. And so he goes, one of the guys asks uh, Jesus a question, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law, the Testament, Old Testament law of Moses? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. You're thinking, this is the first and great commandment. And the second is likened to it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. That's a long story talking about the law and the prophets. But can a person be good without God? Not if the first commandment is to love God. How can you be good without loving God? If you want to say, I want to be good, but I don't want to be a Christian. Sorry, that, that steps on toes. I'm not trying to be harsh. But ultimate goodness is impossible without loving God by Jesus' definition of what good is. Good is, and in the, in this understanding of good is obeying the law. And so this guy's saying, how do I know if I'm good? Love God and love your neighbor. And if you do those two things well, then you've done all these other things, even though they're specific what that means in the Old Testament law versus where we're at now, Romans for the sake of, okay, well, what does it mean to love your neighbor then? So let's look at Romans chapter 12 real fast. Again, we're talking about um, hate versus love, loving the right things, hating the right things, moving toward the right thing, moving away from the uh, something that's um, evil, to hate evil. So Romans 12, starting at 10, again, this is a little bit of, of reading. I apologize for the extra this time, but when we're talking about good and evil and we're talking about love and hate, it's going to be um, really difficult to define those well and know what actions to take, just honestly, if we don't know. So Romans 12, verses 10 through 21, that says, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. So this even involves our work life. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, care about people, and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceit. In other words, don't be big-headed. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest. 
in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lies within you, live peaceably with all men. And when you can't, there's those wall things we talked about. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. For in so doing, you shall heap coals of fire on his head. You ever been bad to somebody and they were good back and you hurt? That's what that's talking about. Then this is the how do you move towards evil? If you're going to hate evil, how do you move toward it correctly? This is what it says. Be not overcome of evil. In other words, resist it. So we're still putting up walls. We're not letting evil overcome us. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, it gets really easy to explain that whenever you're talking about someone mistreating you. Let God deal with them and be good to them. But also, when it comes to, let's let's go take it back over here to a goal. Um, evil, unedible. Let's start there again. Is there something in your life that you've just said, this is distasteful, I will not eat this? Well, then what is the good that you can do to stop eating it and start having these joyful experiences of, again, going into these steps of not being stagnant? And what you love and what you hate will not let you stand still. You'll have to do something about it. So if, if you look at hate as an active rejection. Sometimes the active is just a wall that stays put. But an active rejection of something. Again, I'm not talking about someone. I'm talking about something. Ideas, thoughts, all these types of things. When a person has caused us to feel hatred towards them, what we're supposed to do is forgive them, let God deal with it, and be good to them. Um, and again, speak the truth in love. I don't like that. And then the Bible does give a whole thing of how to deal with someone who's offended you. So uh, that's in Matthew 18. I encourage you reading it if you're having trouble with that. But to have an, uh, an active rejection even of unforgiveness or being unmerciful, we need to have an active acceptance of forgiveness and mercy. So if hate is this active rejection and love is this active acceptance, we need to keep in mind that if it is an inactive, not doing anything about it, acceptance, it's an inactive acceptance. I accept you, but I'm not doing anything about it. I'm not moving toward. I'm not moving away. I'm not standing still. I'm just, it's just inactive. The Bible would use the word asleep. In, an inactive acceptance looks like rejection. I feel rejected. I don't reject you. But you feel it because it's an inactive acceptance. Or you have an inactive rejection. An inactive rejection looks like acceptance. I didn't know that bothered you. Well, it, it, I've always hated that. So there has to be an active. There has to be a resistance to what we hate. And, we need, and then the, what we hate, we need to hate properly. And what are we hating? If we're hating properly, we hate evil. What is evil? Something that's inedible and unalive. Whenever you eat fruit, again, the figs, the figs are alive in the story, and the life that's in them is what gets inside us. So we want things that feed us and make us more alive or keep us alive. Things that make us sick, we don't want to eat those things. 
And so we need to have a hatred. We need to have an active rejection of those things that are causing us to be less vibrant, less alive, less of what God made us to be. And sticking with the idea of thoughts, what thoughts are evil? They are causing death. They are not helpful. That whenever we partake of them, we feel worse. Or they're just not producing life. They're a waste of our time. And can we have an active rejection for those things, those roots of bitterness, those unfruitful branches, and to move toward them and remove them from our thought life so that our actions and our patterns and our habits, our attitudes, thought life, all of those things are bearing fruit so that with this garden of our mind or this city of our mind is healthy and vibrant and festive. Imagine a city that's in a constant state of celebration because of a victory, and that can be our inside. Again, we can overcome evil with good. The Bible would probably use this term when it comes to rejecting evil. It would probably use the word, word repentance, or it might say resist. The Bible says if we resist the devil, he will flee. Pers- uh, evil has a personality, and that person must be resisted. And Jesus did. First John 3, 8 says, He that commits sin is of the devil, for the devil sins from the, sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, Jesus, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus definitely has an active resistance to evil. Now, doing that will make enemies. If you are an enemy of evil, then evil is now an enemy of you. But if God is for you, who can be against you? Because God has an active acceptance of us. We call it love. Romans 8 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Whenever it looks like the enemy has won because we did the right thing, it wasn't a victory. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things future, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love, from the active acceptance of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I know that was a lot of reading today, and uh, but I, so I thank you for hanging in there with me through that. Um, but hating is a big deal, and hating correctly is a big part of making good decisions and setting proper goals and even reaching those goals. If we say this is my goal, but we don't hate the opposite of that goal, we might not move toward it. And so we need to hate the right things. We need to love the right things. We need to trust the right things. We need to not trust the right things. Have faith in the right things. Not believe what you're not supposed to believe. And take thoughts captive that either are fruitless or actually preventing successes. And then the other, the Bible also talks about um, things that get into our thought life. It talks about them as rocks that are in the garden that need to be cleared out, and those offenses where we need to present forgiveness and mercy so that we can get them out. It's you know, like what may have happened really happened, but hanging on to it isn't letting 
the other life that's in your garden of your thought life um, take root and bear fruit. And if you're looking at all of those things, uh, again, to talk about the garden example that the Bible gives, first it talks about having an understanding. We need to understand some things. Then we got to get through uh, negative feelings. Um, it talks about rocks and it talks about the sun scorching the plant. And so we, we have to, uh, we, I talked about loving wisdom in the last one. We have to hate foolishness. We have to hate not knowing. Um, I, and you, there, it does talk about the, in Ecclesiastes, it says the pursuit of knowledge can weary you. So there's a, I'm sure there's a proper balance in this, but um, to talk about um, uh, getting an understanding and working at it until you figure it out, and then whenever you figure it out, uh, getting past um, getting your feelings hurt because it has that can stop. That's not, that's not me to like send out a um, hurt somebody. You got your feelings hurt. That really happens, you know, and it stops people. Uh, sometimes it's good intentions that have a, a, a that come at you wrong and or it's it, it could be any number of things or things that were just truly done wrong but we can't hold on to unforgiveness because it, again it talks about them as stones in there and because the those stones the stones prevent the roots that's what's stopping it those things don't go down into our heart because of the stones so the sun's doing its job the light's doing its job it talks about the sun scorching it but an unforgiveness will stop those roots, and we have to hate the stones. We don't hate, we don't love what happened, we have to, but we have to reject it as something we're going to keep in our garden because it's not letting us have roots. Again, an active rejection of these offenses. I, I'm, it's not rejecting, presenting forgiveness is rejecting offense, to have an active rejection of being offended. And then the next thing it talks about is weeds and thorns that grow up. So now that we've gotten these things out, other things grow that aren't supposed to be part of the garden. It's still not good. It's still not edible. You can't eat weeds and you can't eat thorns. So these things that we need to get out of us, they are alive, they are real, but they got to go because they're holding things back that are edible, that are good. And again, going back to the definition of good starts with loving God. If it doesn't have that in it, I question its fruitfulness. And then it says we can go on to some 30, some 60, and some 100 fold. So we'll have different results. Then those results can be uh, pushed back in and given us more results. Those results give us courage to do the next thing. And an active rejection is a big piece of this story. Hatred is something that is a usable force inside your heart that it is a part of being human and it does serve a purpose. And that purpose is to actively reject things that prevent life from taking root and bearing fruit and having successes and having goals breached and having trials where you wipe your brow and you got through it. We're having storms or are past and you're still standing. Today's final thought hits on all of these really well. And it's a common passage, but it hits on all the themes that I've just mentioned. John 3.16, for God so love the world, actively accepted, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world, pursue, to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believes on him is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men loved, actively accepted, 
darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Not edible, not receivable, they were evil. For everyone that does evil hates the light. They actively reject the light. Neither comes to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved or corrected. But he that does truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. I hope that gives you something to think about. I hope it helped. God bless you guys, and happy thinking.